0: Listen, we are in the book of James, uh, James chapter 3, and remember what we've talked about so far with James. It is a book of gospel wisdom, okay? It's not just good, pithy phrases that you'll hear, you know, from the earth, uh, just uh, from the mindset of the world. Okay, these are phrases, these are verses, these are acts of wisdom of someone who has been changed, all right? Someone who has met with Christ and they are no longer the same. They're new creatures uh, in Christ. And so what James does is he wants us to let the world know whose we are. And the way we do that is by our actions. Our actions prove the existence of our faith. So James' book is about really living out our real faith... In a real world. And today what we're going to do is we're going to focus on communication. Did you know that the average person... Now, what's average? That's a great question. But the average person communicates five hours a day. Okay? The average person communicates, speaks, whatever, five hours a day. Now, some of you are looking at your spouse. I'm not going to say husband or wife. You're saying, yeah, that's a low ball number, okay? Others are the opposite. They're like, man, if, you, if I can get an hour of your time, that'd be awesome. But the average person, five hours a day, what that means is this. For every hour, you are spending between 10 and 15 minutes of that time communicating. And that's including sleep, too. I mean, that, that's a lot of time. 10 to 15 minutes per hour a day you're communicating. That's a that's a lot of talk. So here's what James. Uh, actually, I'm going to go to chapter one first. James chapter one verse 26. We think about 26 and 27 kind of as the thesis, as the main thrust of James's book of his epistle. And in James 1:26, here's how James begins to lay out what a person of faith looks like. He says this: If anyone thinks he's religious, meaning not not the cold, dead orthodoxy that sometimes we see today, where people act like church on Sunday morning, but they act like something completely different the rest of the week, but this is someone who has sold out, someone who has received Christ and, and desires to live for Him with all that they are. All right? He says this: If anyone thinks that he is religious, a godly person, and does not bridle his tongue. But he deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. There are three things that he really does talk about. Communication. uh, He talks about your conduct and about your compassion. But listen, communication is extremely important. Especially for believers. Because what we communicate displays what we represent. All right, we're basically walking billboards of something. And if you are a Christ follower, then that means that you are a billboard of heaven. You're a billboard of the owner of heaven and the creator of all things. So if our billboard is messed up, if our billboard is, not, is inaccurate, then the world is going to get an inaccurate picture of who it is that we serve. So communication is extremely important. But since we're talking about church, Let's first of all begin with church communicators, all right? So this thing is totally about Kenny McDowell, not myself, all right? Barry, this is all about you right here. No, i kidding. No, James chapter 3, verse 1. Let's listen to what uh, what James brings out, starting right from the leadership. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness now at this point if some of you were thinking to yourself man i'm feeling god's leading me to 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 lead a small group or to maybe teach one of our life university classes but now i just read that verse forget it that's not the heart of james here all right he's not he's not wanting you to doubt your calling what he's wanting you to do is ensure that you are called Okay, ensure that you are called. Because what happened uh, in the first century, we, we know this to be true because there was not only a lot of great teachers, there were a whole lot of false teachers. So in the first century, there was kind of a great respectability for teachers. And of course that would be the case. Think about it. In Rome, in Greece, you had great philosophers, people that we still talk about today. So there was was a great, uh, a high position of someone who was a teacher, which meant that a lot of people wanted to take that role who were not even called to teach. But you know what? In some ways, it's very similar to what we deal with right here in the 21st century. Think about it. Being a preacher or a teacher, doesn't it sound great? I mean, think about it. You work one day a week... Not really. Think about the influence that you can have. Okay? You can have 12, 14, 200, 10,000 people listening to you on a consistent basis. Here's something else about a preacher or a teacher. Everyone likes you all the time. Here's another benefit. Everyone listens and obeys what you teach. And loves it when you speak about their sins. They love it. It's awesome. It's amazing, isn't it? And yet, what this passage tells us is that I have a holy, weighty responsibility to teach the whole counsel of God, the very truth of God's word. To the frustration, to the misunderstanding, the anger of those who would rather us. See, I have to make decisions. Teachers need to make decisions based on God's word, not human emotion. At the end, I and every teacher, we're not going to be judged by our popularity, but by our faithfulness. So I know that there are going to be times, as pastors, as small group leaders, when we're going to say, folks, we've prayed about this. We've made very... uh, We've wept over these things. And we're having to make a very tough decision. But it's a decision that's based on the Word of God... Truth and love. Not everyone's going to understand that. And we'll do everything we can to walk anyone through that. But listen, it's tough. If you want, this is what Eric Geiger says, who's a church leadership expert. He says this, if you want to be liked by everyone, do not be a leader. Go sell ice cream. which that won't even be good enough, right? I wanted 32 flavors. Come on, Baskin-Robbins. But seriously, and I think James is giving us this warning because of this, and I'm afraid that, I'm afraid this has been seen in too many pulpits. Because of the weighty responsibility of a teacher, of a preacher, of a leader, it is very easy to skip over a doctrine to look over an issue or to hide a sin. But you cannot do that and be faithful to God. It is not possible. Dr. Wayne House says it this way. All of the heresies and most of the divisions and many of the failures of the church throughout human history have been due to teachers without godly wisdom or understanding. So teachers will one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be judged more strictly than others. Their greater influence translates into a greater responsibility. And that's so true. Think about it. The thing that even political leaders right now cannot get away with, we do every day. Think about it. If you are high in um, not only just politics, but you're, you're high in journalism, okay? How many times have we deleted... Let's just be honest. How many times have we deleted a text, a tweet, or any kind of social media after we posted it? How many have done that? All right. And you know what? You may have had some backlash. But most of you probably haven't lost your job for it. But the higher you are in leadership, the more... You have that responsibility. I think about Moses. Moses in the book of Numbers. What a weight of responsibility that was given to Moses. He was to lead 2.5 million people from Egypt, a land of bondage and slavery, into the promised land. The land, the Bible says, was flowing with milk and honey. I know it sounds sticky, but it was really good, okay? It was, they had everything they could have ever wanted in this promised land. But because of sin, they weren't able to go immediately. They had to spend 40 years wandering in the desert. Now, how many of you would like to have that role? Okay? Let me take 2.5 million whiny, disobedient, frustrated uh, church members, okay, who will never get it. And then, before it gets really good, let me die. Okay? That was Moses' ministry. Yay, go Moses! But let's talk about his leadership for a moment. He did a phenomenal job leading these 2.5 million people through all the disappointments, through all the sins that they were involved in. But you know what? You know why Moses wasn't able to go in? This is gonna blow your mind. After all the miracles, after all the great words of wisdom that Moses had, he was not able to go into the promised land because he hit a rock. Now, yes, there was a little more to it. God told him, I am going to provide water for my people. And I want you to do this, Moses. I want you to give God glory and I want you to speak to the rock. Well, between God telling Moses, hey, go speak to that rock and water's going to come out, an awesome miracle. Others are going to believe. Between that conversation and Moses going over to the rock, there were 2.5 million people in the way complaining, okay, getting frustrated with him, wanted Moses to go a different direction. Moses, we have better ideas than what God's telling you. Why don't you listen to us instead of God all the time? And over and over, and he got so frustrated. He just said, you know what? I'm tired of y'all. I'm going to give you some water. And instead of saying it was from the Lord, he got glory for himself. And because of that, he was not able to enter into the promised land. There is a big weight for leaders. And believe me, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a big fan of people liking me. I really am. Okay, I don't wake up saying, God, more enemies, please. I don't, that's not my desire at all. But I must be faithful to his word. Whatever happens, I give it to God. And I walk with him and I walk with you and we walk together following his word. All right, enough about the preachers and the teachers. Let's talk about all of us. Go to verse 2. James says, For we all stumble. That's all of us now. Okay, no more the, the preacher. Now we all stumble. For we all stumble in many ways. Every one of us fall in various ways. All right, is what he's saying. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says... He is a perfect man, able also to bridle his uh, his whole body. Now listen, he's talking about every one of us now, all right? This is the power of communication that we have here. The mark of a maturing believer, All right. if you want to get the pulse on where you're at on the wheel, all right, if wherever you're at in your understanding of growth in Christ, this is a huge indicator. As a matter of fact, when you go through the immersion and we go through training, we talk about, what's called phrases from the phases. And in that way, you can kind of assess where you're at spiritually by the things that you say, by the things that you say about God, by the things you say about each other, by the things you think about life. That kind of gives you the pulse on where am I at spiritually in my relationship with God. So the mark of a maturing believer is this, when they're able to control their tongue. Tongue. When you are known by speaking the truth in love. Listen, if your tongue can be controlled, your whole body can be as well. That's what he's saying, the power of of having a controlled tongue. You may may be able to to not do certain sins, but listen, if you can't control your tongue, then you're just a ticking time bomb is, is the picture he's trying to give us here. So communication is huge. With that said, there's four points I want to bring us up to today. Four points I want us to walk through as we go through the rest of these verses. And what these points are going to deal with is the weight of your words. The weight of your words. Dad's father's day. We understand, as I said, 85 or more percent of families who is led by the father coming to church... Not drug, you know, by by the mom or by the kids, but the dad leading this family. 85%. So listen, our words are important. The weight of your words. Number one, your words have power of influence. Your words have the power of influence. Look at verse 3. James 3, verse 3 and 4 says this. He says, what we do with with, uh, horses is we put bits and to the mouths of these horses so that they will obey us. And we guide their whole bodies as well. Just giving a visual uh, of that fact of if the, if the tongue is controlled, the rest of the body is uh, controlled. He gives us another example. Not only bits in the mouths of horses, and you can control it whichever way you wish. He says this, look at the ships also, though they are large And are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the wheel of the pilot directs. So also the tongue, small member. Tiny part of the whole body. And yet, it boasts of great things. It boasts of great things. It's got great potential to go one way or the other. Think about the mighty power of influence you have with your tongue. Think about the influence. Just like powerful horses, that there's no way you can, you can grab a horse and, and move it one way or the other according to whatever your will is, but if you were able to, to control the mouth of the horse through a bit and bridle, you are able to literally have power over the horse or even large boats. Are moved by such a small rudder. How does this apply to us? Think about it. Political movements. Whole nations are persuaded by words. Whole nations persuaded by words. You give an influential person airtime, you'll have a movement. We see it happen constantly. I'll talk more about this in a moment. But listen, here's something so important for us as we walk through this. Let's not be too quick to look through these verses and just kind of read on. And say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm supposed to take care of my tongue. The author is very um, deliberate in his words. And we're going to just keep going back and forth to these first few verses. But listen, the tongue. What really is the tongue? If it's been described as a bit, if it's been described as a rudder, Then the tongue is simply a tool. A tongue is a tool for the master of the tongue. Do you see that? Because think about it. The horse, the bit of the horse moves the whole horse. Who moves it? The horse? The rider does, doesn't he? The horse doesn't have the power over the bit rider does, she can move it back and forth, no matter how old they are. We know, we have young kids that ride horses. I mean, kids 40, 60, 80 pounds over half ton horses. I mean, it's insane. How about a big ship guided by a small rudder? Is the ship the one that moves the rudder? According to the verse there, it's the pilot that directs. What is James trying to tell us? You're the horse. You're the boat. Who's the rider? Who's the pilot? The answer will come soon. Number two, our words have power of influence. Number two, your words have the capacity for destruction. Yay. That sounds like fun, doesn't it? Your words have the power for destroy the ca- uh, capacity for destruction. Look at verse 5 and 6. James says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Think about that. And I, the first year I was here, I'm going on yeah, going on three years now. First year I was here was when we had all them fires going on in Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge, and all that going on. And what's the cause of most of those things? A cigarette butt thrown out of a window. A match that someone uses to maybe light a campfire, and then even as the fire's about to go away, they walk on. You've seen the signs on 85, right? Uh, even even a piece of uh, ash, okay, or a little ember, that f- it can fly up to a mile away and create a fire. All the, the, the damage, the destruction, all because of... A cigarette butt? Or how about in Chicago? The great fire of Chicago. It it left 100,000 people homeless. And it killed over 200 people. The great fire of Chicago was started because a cow knocked over a lamp in a barn. How does that relate to our words? To use an interesting example, I said that earlier that whole nations can be persuaded by words. Adolf Hitler's book I don't know if I can fully pronounce this, Mein Kampf. For every word that is in that book, that equals two hundred and fifty people that were killed. The tongue is a fire. It is a world of unrighteousness. Let's read on. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. And set on fire by hell. Listen. The tongue. Once it's set out. Once the words are are taken. It's over. How many times I would love to have run ahead of that word of mine. That I just said. And grab it and put it back in. It's impossible. Listen. When the word is in your mind. You're the master of it. But when it's let out. You become the slave of it. Your words are. Have the capacity for great destruction. Once the words are said, you have no control over it. You can do damage control, you can try it, but you have no control. The damage is horrendous. Look at what the scripture says. It says, your tongue is set among our members. It, it stains the whole body. It, it, it destroys your body. The very words that you say affects the rest of you. Now, is he talking about personal or is he talking about maybe the church body or the community? Both and. Did you know that? Did you know that your words said maybe before and after service or in the parking lot or uh, in, in Facebook messages or phone calls Uh, Whatever type of meeting that you have that does not build up the brothers and sisters in Christ will tear down. There is no middle road. What you say will have an effect. It pollutes the whole body. And then look at this interesting term uh, in verse 6. It says... Setting, uh, uh, yes, yeah, setting on fire the entire course of life. You might have a, a note in your Bible, and it talks about you know the the wheel of your existence, something like that. Here's what that means, and that's a crazy word. There, what that means is from here on, it sets the course of your life. After you've made that com- comment, you may have thought you were going one direction, but you made a, a a foolish, a destructive word. And then your whole whole life has been changed. Your whole life has been changed from that. Now, yes, you can almost kind of get back on track, but you'll always have the scar of those words that you said. It literally wrecks your future. That's what your words have the power to do. It wrecks your future as well as those uh, that you speak against. So it changes your life. How does it change your life? Well, clearly ruined relationships. Clearly your career can change by words that you speak, reputations that you had, churches. I have pastor friends. Pastor friends. And this is so tough because I feel the weight of what the pastor has to do uh, faithfully preaching the word of God. But some people are offended so they, they will make up the smallest things to talk about their pastors behind their backs. To cause one family to agree. Then three families and agree. Then half the church agrees. And pastors are kicked out. And why is that? Well, because the pastor believes this. The pastor never preached that. On and on and on it goes. The damage of your words. How many marriages have been ruined because words have been spoken in anger? be honest, this is one of my big one of my many sins is my tongue. I so much want to want to make a joke I so much want to uh, I don't even know how you fully describe it, but I am very passive aggressive and listen what I'm about to say because I don't want to do something, maybe I'm lazy, my wife or my kids may ask me to do something and I can quickly just come back with a little pithy or, or silly remark. And what I don't realize I'm doing at that moment, I'm just trying to either get out of work or I'm trying to show, oh, I had a tough day, whatever the case may be. What I'm doing is like I'm being an ax, knocking away at the root of my wife or my kids' emotions. You know what? There comes a time when you hit that root enough that the tree dies. Do we know the power of our words? Setting the entire course and it is set on fire by hell. Where does our destructive words come from? We don't have to guess. The scripture tells us where. It comes from hell. Douglas Moose says this, a power speaking of your words a power so potentially destructive of the spiritual life can only be explained as having its origin in the influence of satan himself you may think and i may think that i'm just going to be cute or adorable or whatever what not and causes people to tumble i will tell you what it does not come from heaven it does not come from heaven If words that I speak do not build up, edify, draw people to to a closer walk with Christ and with one another, then those words, if they're not from heaven, then they must be from hell. It was just a joke. What you say tells us who you're listening to. James 3, 7 and 8. He says, For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Think about that. And then that's true. We've been to zoos. We've seen this happen. Now, obviously there's there's tragedy and there's accidents as well, but for the most part, we have a great ability to be able to tame physical animals. We have that it's crazy. But why can't we tame the tongue? Why can't we do that? Listen, some of us are like, no, I got you there. I'm not really following Christ and everything, but I can stop cussing if I want to. And I will agree with you. I will agree with you. I believe that an alcoholic, I believe that an alcoholic could stop drinking and not necessarily be a Christian. I believe that someone could stop smoking. Someone could stop uh, destructive patterns and habits in their life, even including cussing and those types of things. I think that you have the power to stop doing a specific habit and not be a Christian. But listen very carefully. You may be able to stop cussing, but you cannot stop sinning unless someone stronger than hell resides in you. There is a difference. Who cares how moral you are when you die if you don't have Christ's righteousness on your behalf? Wayne House again, he says this, The instincts of animals can be subdued through conditioning and punishment. But the sinful nature that inspires evil words is beyond our control. Only the work of the Holy Spirit within us can bring this destructive force under control. I told you earlier in verse 2 and 3, remember the horse bit? Remember that? The horse bit Moves the whole horse. Why? Because the bit, the the, the rope of the bit, is in the hand of the rider. I am the horse. I'm sorry to tell you that, but you're not the rider. You're the horse. Who's the rider? How about the big ship that's guided by a small rudder? It obeys the captain. It obeys the pilot. I am the boat. I'm not going to say you're the boat because I may offend somebody. I'm the big boat, okay? Who's the captain? Who's the pilot? You've only got two options. God or Satan. Well, no, neither. Because I control my own life. No, you don't. I'm just going to be honest with you. Either you submit to sin or you submit to Christ. You choose a master. One of them has a great desire for you. His desire is to steal, kill, and destroy you. Another one has an even greater desire. Is that you would have life and have it to the full. Not just here on earth, but for all of eternity. In the presence of a master who loves you. Who proved his love for you. You don't have to doubt. He proved his love for you by dying on a cross for your sins. By taking the weight, the burden of everything you have ever said. Everything you have ever done. All the wicked and the evil that that you and I do on a continual basis. And he put it upon himself and paid the sin debt that you and I deserve. And he did it because he loved you. No one in this room can say God does not love me. Because he has proven that love. And not only that, he has given everybody in this room... An opportunity to receive Him. And the proof of that is that you're here today. You have two choices. Who's going to be your writer? Who's going to be your pilot? Who's going to be your master? how, how, How do I know that? Well, you've got to receive Christ. It is an internal thing. Okay? You've got to personally receive Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, to give you a future with Him Forever, You've got to trust that Jesus paid for your sin. You've got to do that. Well, how does it look outwardly? I'm glad you asked. Outwardly, who's controlling your words? You're not going to be perfect. Sorry. But it's about progress. Believe me, I wish I was a lot further along the road. But one person told me once, and it makes so much sense to me, I'm not where I want to be, but praise God, I'm not where I was. And that should be the mark of every believer. If there is no change, no reception, grace. Number three, your words can bring confusion. Dads, parents, please listen to this. Your words can bring confusion. Look at verse 9 and 10. With it, with our words, with it we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, with our words, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the very same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. It boggles the mind of James to be able to think that you can do both. It brings great Confusion. You've heard that saying once, if someone cusses, you kiss your mama with that mouth? Okay, that's kind of what, what James is trying to say here. Think about it. Think about the hypocrisy of these words. I love Jesus. I submit myself to him and his perfect will for my life. And as much as you want to honor him, you curse his creation. You curse brothers and sisters. Here's what that looks like, okay? I, I've said this before, so some of this will make sense. Some of you may actually like me, okay? Some of you hopefully love me, because I love you, I, I do. And some of you, this would be a weird situation, wouldn't it? If one of y'all came up to me and said, Pastor Scott, Ann, I really love you. Thank you for, for you know, being a pastor, for ministering here, and for being a, a, a member at Buck Creek. And, and I just think our relationship is just awesome. I just have one little issue. Yeah, what's that? I hate your wife and kids. I mean, they're, they're weird. Uh, I just wanted you to know that now my conscience is clean. I love you, Pastor Scott. I hope our relationship is still good. No, it won't be. And yet that's exactly what we do to God, don't we? Think about it. In one breath, we're saying, God, you are Lord, you're a master, you're king of my life. Everything that you love, I will love. Everything that you abhor, I want to stay away from. I love you. I love everything about you. And then you come to the bride of Christ, the church, and you bash it. Bash her. I mentioned that last week, right? Some of us are more concerned about what the world thinks about us than what our brothers and sisters do. And what I mean by that is the fact that I love you. Some of us say, I'm willing to hate the church and to love the world. I'm willing to give up my understanding of God's word just so that the world can think that we're people of love. It's those types of people that wouldn't call Jesus very Christian. Because he speaks tough words about sin, he speaks tough words about following him. He says, You've got to die daily you got to take up your cross. And the proof, he says, of your love for God is your love for one another. And yet we bash his wife and his kids. How does that look in a family where parents on Sunday morning are lifting up their hands, they're praising God, but on the way to and from church, they're bashing each other, talking about how how uh, they don't care about one another or about how dumb and how idiotic they are and what they did this week and how could you be such a fool and even looking at your kids and saying you're idiots and that kind of stuff. How can you say those types of things and yet lift up God's name on Sunday morning and think your kids got it all figured out? Think your kids understand, oh, this is what God is like. Again, you're painting an inaccurate picture of God by your words, and you're leading your family into confusion. That's what your words will bring, confusion. How can we reconcile this? Bring us to number four. Your words always reveal your heart. Again, I told you earlier, your tongue is just a tool, right? Your tongue is just a tool for the master of that tongue. Your words will always reveal your heart. Verse 11, James 3.11 says this, Does a spring bring forth or pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What he's saying is, he says, let's go, to the, let's go to the heart of the situation or the source of the situation. Does a spring, okay, does the very source of the spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? To which the answer to that is no, absolutely not. What's going to come out of the hole of that spring is what's deep within, What kind of fruit will the trees outside produce? They'll they'll produce what's within the tree. You see the word picture he's giving? It would be foolish to hope, to pray, to even uh, just meditate on the fact that this orange tree this year, I do hope it produces apples. It's silly. It's preposterous to think that. And yet, when it comes to our words, we think we can do both. Words are only a symptom of the problem. It always goes back to the heart. Matter of fact, James says it in chapter one, chapter one, verse sixteen or uh, verse twenty-six. Excuse me. If anyone thinks he is religious, remember that a godly person and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his what? heart, right? Think about that. If anyone thinks he's religious, but does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's faith, his religion is worthless. It's useless. Jesus pipes in. He has a whole lot of verses, but for time's sake, we'll just hit Matthew 12, 34. He says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Matthew 12, 34, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So listen, your tongue does not have a mind of its own. It doesn't. The tongue only says what the heart tells it to say. If you have a believer that just comes on you or a parent or a child or a spouse and they just pour out on you, just, just angry words, whatever the case may be. Uh, passive aggressiveness and all this type of stuff. And then they come back 30 minutes, an hour, a day later, say, listen, I want to apologize. You know, that's not me. You've heard that before, right? You've heard that from politicians, athletes, and everything else, including us, hopefully. But if we're honest, and we we would uh, repent. But listen, we usually say, that, that wasn't me. I, I don't know where those words came from. Here's how you respond to that. Yeah, it was you. It really was you. You don't say things that are not in here. So, we have a problem. We have a problem. One commentator says this. Cursing others indicates a spiritual malady. Sinful people speak sinful words. Those who verbally or otherwise abuse others, especially those over whom they exert some kind of control, cannot genuinely praise God without hypocrisy. When they have a problem with our tongues, when when they have a problem with their tongues, they really have a heart problem. He goes on to say, a harsh tongue shows an angry heart. A negative tongue shows a fearful heart. An overactive tongue shows an unsettled heart. A boasting tongue shows an insecure heart. A filthy tongue shows an impure heart. A critical tongue shows a bitter heart. But see, the opposite can be the case as well. An encouraging tongue shows a caring heart. And a gentle tongue shows... Shows a loving heart. Listen, I close with this thought. There is only one solution to your heart problem. You need a new heart. You need a new heart. Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 25 to 27 says this. God to anyone... Anyone who would willing to, to turn from their way of life, turn from being led by Satan and turn to Jesus and Him alone. Here's what He says about them. It's such a powerful passage. He says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. That is the promise of God towards anyone who would repent to turn from their way of life and to turn to Jesus Christ. That is a promise that will affect you for all of eternity. You have a choice, okay? You can choose to walk away from this, okay? And let your heart be led by yourself, which you know that's not true. You're gonna either be led by Satan or by Christ. You have a choice this morning, To to rebel against a new heart because you love delving in the sins of your own heart, your hard heart. Or you can choose this morning to receive God's loving grace and mercy upon you by forgiving you and giving you new life, a new heart, and God's spirit within you. Listen, here's the beautiful thing about the spirit of God living in you. If you allow the Spirit of God to take residence in your heart and life more and more each day, you will have no room for words of hell. You'll have no room for that as he grows. So let me ask you these questions. Let's look actually at uh, James uh, verse 12 again. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. It's impossible for for two opposing words to come out. Just like it's impossible for fresh and salt water to come out. So if that's true, let me ask you this. What does only edifying, building up words that come out of your mouth, what does only edifying words produce. I'll tell you what they produce. If you are a person like that, who is led by the Spirit of God in your speech, you are going to produce life all around you. You're going to produce people who want to spend time with you. Because they know that in the midst of a world that's constantly beating them down because they, according to verse 2, are always stumbling. We're always stumbling. To have someone next to us giving us edifying words is life. Okay, let's ask another one. What does only destructive words produce? Okay, the opposite here. There's someone who speaks godly, edifying Truth and love words, it produces life. Okay, What is someone who only speaks destructive, harsh, tear down words, what does that produce? You know what it produces. It's death. It sucks the life right out of you. Which one do you want to hang out with? Let's do question number three. Since we're in this weird passage. What does half edifying and half destructive words coming out of your mouth produce? You can't have both. You can't. If you produce both out of your mouth, we know what you really mean. We can see through the lies you really have no love for one another. That's tough words. So what does your speech say about your heart? What does your speech say about your nature? Do your words constantly say you have love for God and others? Do your words, dads, moms, do your words at church match your words at home, at the office, or later on today at the lake? Do your words portray you as a changed person by the grace and mercy of Jesus? Not perfect, but progressing. If so, pour out that grace and mercy to others. But if your life is consumed with a wicked tongue, then I need to examine our life. To see if we have received true grace, forgiveness, and here to tell you, if what you got from this message is, oh, I need to clean up my language, you've missed the point. The point I tried to give is you can't do it alone. Listen, a lot of us cling to this passage of scripture in Philippians chapter 4 that says, I can do all things through Christ. Do you really know what that means? Here's what that means. To use Jesus' term. I can do all things through Christ. Think about every word. I can do all things through Christ. We cling to that. Here's how Jesus would comment on that. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. So the most important thing you need right now is not to swallow some soap. Okay? Okay? not to brush your teeth hoping that uh, you can have clean chompers and hopefully your tongue falls in line. The greatest thing you need right now is not even a new tongue, not even better dentures. You need a new heart. Will you come and receive it? It's free. free for the taking. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you, Lord. For the promise you have that if anybody, no matter who they are, no matter what they've ever said, if they would come to you today, today is the day of salvation. If they would come to you today, you would give them a new heart. You would take out the cold, hard heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. One that feels again. One that loves for the very first time. Understanding what true love is. God, our church desperately needs men and women who take seriously the call to let you lead, to let you be the captain, the pilot, to let you be the rider in every area of our life. So God, I pray for believers this morning who've taken the reins out of Jesus' hand and tried to control on their own. Help them to see clearly through Scripture that they're not even holding the reins. God, I pray. I pray a special act of your presence right now. God, that you would move in every pew, that you would speak to every heart, cold or warm, and show them their great need for you. And show them their great your great love for them. And may we be changed by the power of your word presence of your spirit. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.